You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. That famous quote by the extraordinary Maya Angelou is exactly why I speak. It's why I tell my story and mix education around the topics of mental health, substance misuse and recovery, and drug use and policy with motivation, inspiration, and purpose. So when you're looking for your next keynote or breakout session speaker, reach out. Find me at my website, jshiftman.com, and I promise you, your employees, your group members, the students at your school, everybody will come away having learned something. And that's how we create change. Reach out today. Spread love. Choose your struggle. Welcome to Rock Bottom Storytellers 2. For those of you who tuned in for the first Rock Bottom Storytellers back in January, uh, you already know this, but for those of you who are new tonight, very briefly, the whole point of this storytelling event is twofold. Number one, it's to normalize talking about struggle because we all go through things, right? And as the name suggests, everyone who is uh, telling their story tonight has been through some sort of a rock bottom. A, a struggle point that really uh, launched them back upwards and launched them on a new path. And uh, I personally have been through that before. I'm a guy in long-term recovery who struggled with my mental health. And, you know, that was the idea behind this was when I was at my lowest point, I felt that there was nobody else to reach out to, no one that I could talk to. And of course that wasn't true because uh, that, that's never true. There's always people in our lives, but I felt that way. And so that's the second point. It's to end that stigma. It's to help people know that they can just talk about this, that, that they, can, they can reach out to other people and say, hey, I'm, I'm really going through something and I could use some help right now. So uh, those are really the, the focuses of tonight. Now, the way that this works, we have four story four storytellers, four incredible storytellers. They're not speakers. Actually, a couple of them are, but that's not what tonight is. Tonight is instead storytelling. You know, you're not going to hear the, the speeches that, you know, people like me get paid good money to tell. Uh, you're going to hear our honest stories, the vulnerable stories. And, and the goal of this, the goal of, of hearing those stories is to be entertained because storytellers are, stories are, are fantastic and we all love them. But it's also to, to show that empathy, to, to be vulnerable and connect with each other. So please, if you like what someone says tonight, reach out to them because they're not getting paid to be here. You know, they're doing this because they truly believe in this. They truly believe in helping end the stigma and normalizing these conversations. A couple notes before we begin. I am your host, Jay Schiffman. I'm the, the founder of Choose Your Struggle. And uh, I couldn't do this tonight because I don't make anything doing this, right? In fact, you know, to have this host and do all this kind of stuff, you know, it costs money. And I do have a partner tonight. So I got to give a shout out real quick to Roadrunner CBD. They're an incredible CBD company in uh, New Mexico. They make all sorts of CBD products. And if you look at the bottom of the screen right now, there's a link there. And if you go to that link, that lets them know that I sent you. But here's the best part. If you use that link and my personal code, which is CY you're going to get 10% off at checkout. Now, I wouldn't you know, be pushing this on people if I didn't believe in it. And as my wife can attest, I love their products. And, and they have a, a, um, a muscle gel that I, it's changed my life. Like it's, I don't want to call it a miracle cure, but it's pretty damn near close. I used to be in so much pain. I couldn't run that long. I got really hurt when I ran a half marathon about six years ago. 
And I started using this muscle gel and I'm regularly running five, six miles again. It's incredible. So check it out. And, and thank you, Roadrunner. I really appreciate it. Thank you for, for being our partner tonight. So as I said, there are four storytellers tonight and you're going to hear two of them. And then we're going to take a break. There's a mu musical guest that I'm going to, I'm going to introduce when it's time. Uh, and then we'll come back with two more. Uh, so please stick around. If you're watching this on, on Facebook, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, or not LinkedIn on Twitter, um, you can comment and I will actually be seeing those. I'm looking right now. And if you comment, you may see your, your comment up on the screen. So if you're liking something, definitely let us know. And like I said, reach out to the, to the story tellers because they're all incredible people who have done uh i mean amazing things with their life they're doing amazing work that's why we're here tonight because all of these people are that uh truly incredible so thank you you for tuning in like seriously thank you you could be anywhere doing anything tonight on your wednesday night and you're here watching these vulnerable stories so thank you it, it really means means a lot um so without further ado i'm gonna bring up our first storyteller you're gonna hear more from me throughout the night but but this isn't about me tonight i do a lot I'll tell you about it. Don't worry. But we're here for these incredible storytellers tonight. And the first one, the reason she's going first, I didn't tell her this, but the reason she's going first is because none of this would be possible without her. And I mean that, right? There's two people. Seriously, there's two people beyond my wife who's incredibly supportive and I couldn't do this without her. But the literal uh, career path that I'm on is thanks to two people. Number one is Sean Braley from Cincy Stories. If you watched A Day in the Life, the other storytelling uh, event that I do last week, you saw him tell a story and you heard me gush about how incredible he is. He gave me the opportunity in 2015 to tell my story for the first time. And here I am six years later doing this work for a living. But that's kind of glossing over a big period in here where I was doing other work. I was doing uh, fundraising for nonprofits. I was uh, working in politics. And I liked my job. I, I did. I, I liked my job. But I wasn't fulfilled. And one person helped me realize that. And one person helped me realize that I was already doing on the side what I wanted to be doing for a living. And that just being scared to take that leap wasn't a good reason not to do it. So here I am. Thanks to that person. Her name is Kristen Zabo or, or Job Joy, as most of you probably know, because that is her incredible brand. It's her amazing best-selling book. I, I'm just so lucky that I get to count this person as a friend, as someone who's had such an incredible influence on me. And now, not only was she on my podcast last year, by the way, she was my first guest. So thank you for that as well. But now she's going to grace us with her story tonight for Rock Bottom. So I'm going to go ahead and bring the incredible coach, Kristen Zabo, up here to the floor. Hello. 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 What an amazing intro. Thank you so <laughs> much, Jay. I am honored to be here. Um, and thank you to everyone who is tuning in, whether live or on the replay later. Uh, so well, thank as you for being here, I'm going to go ahead backstage and give you the chance to wow everybody. But everyone, enjoy this story and I'll be back with you afterwards. As Jay said, my name is Kristen Zavo. I'm a career coach and the author of Job Joy. And it is my mission, my purpose to help high achievers to really build careers they absolutely love, whether that's redesigning their current role, whether that's getting a new job, completely changing careers, or as in Jay's case, you know, launching your own business. And, you know, so let's actually just dive in. I'm gonna take a pause. Ah. <sighs> If this is success, I want no part in it. These were the words in my mind when I was sitting in church, 
not that many years ago when I was living in New York City. And on Sundays, I would go to this little chapel in Times Square called St. Malachy's. And this was pre-COVID. So they would pack us in like sardines. I remember the smell of the incense mixed with the smell of New York City coming in. And this was really my one hour a week that I could disconnect. I didn't have to be on my BlackBerry. I didn't have to be answering emails. And there I was, you know, trying to get refuge. And all of a sudden, the tears started coming. I had no idea why, where was this coming from? I didn't think I was upset about anything in particular, but I was mortified because I am not a pretty crier. I get red, my eyes are bloodshot, I get stuffed up. So there I am sniffling and crying and trying to control myself in the middle of mass. And as I sat there waiting for everyone to stand up so that I could make my escape, I just remember sitting there and saying, if this, all of this, New York City, my high profile career, if this is success, I'm done. I want no part in it. And if you were on the outside looking in, you would have no idea what was going on inside my mind. From all outside measures, I was successful. I had a high profile job as a financial consultant working on some of the biggest bankruptcies in history. I was making really good money. I was living in New York City in a fancy high rise doorman building. I was going to the trendy restaurants. I was wearing the fancy red bottom shoes, but I was the most unhappy, the most lonely I had ever been in my entire life. And you know, how I got here was by following the rules. I got good grades. I went to college. I went to grad school. I got my first job as an investment banker. And then that led to consulting. I was doing all the things that I was told I was supposed to do. I had everything that I thought I wanted. And yet I was so unhappy and I didn't understand why. And so I started to look outside of myself. What was the problem? Was it this consulting project was terrible or that boss or, yeah, maybe I deserve to be promoted faster, right? Or maybe if I just got one more certification, then I can get another job where I could make more money and maybe then I would be happy. And all those years, years literally, <laughs> of searching, blaming, trying to find the reason I was so unhappy, it was really resisting the truth. It was resisting the truth that the job I was in, the lifestyle I was in as a consultant, working 80 hour weeks, traveling five to six days a week, it was not aligned with the life I wanted, with what was important to me, with what I valued. And I wasn't ready to admit that. So I kept on pushing, I kept on surviving, thinking maybe it would get better, holding on to hope. And after a few years of this, my body started to rebel. I had no health issues up to this point, And all of a sudden I was getting these debilitating migraines. And I'm not just talking about headache. I'm talking about knock you out in bed, can't even move your head from side to side migraines. And I remember seeing a neurologist who specialized in headaches, in migraines in New York City. And we tried everything. I was up to eight medications 
per day. Everything from a caffeine pill to a nose spray to there's a pill you take when you think you might be getting a migraine. And then there's a pill you take at immediately on the onset, plus a whole bunch of supplements. I was doing acupuncture and none of it was working. And I kept going back to her and she pulled out this whole list and she said, I can take you through this whole list this whole list of medications. And by the way, the next thing that was on that list was injections of Botox into my scalp. Now that scared me, plus a whole bunch of scans. And she said to me, I can bring you through this whole list. And unless you make a big change in your life, in your day to day, none of it's going to matter. And I said to her, what do you mean? And she pulled out her prescription pad and she wrote me a prescription that I was supposed to give to my boss that said, Kristen requires eight hours of sleep and access to good quality food. <laughs> now, right now where I'm sitting, that sounds ridiculous. Of course, right? We all deserve that. And at that moment, that seemed absolutely impossible. I would have never shown my manager that. And, you know, being on the road five or six days a week, you're eating out all the time. We were working crazy hours. Eight hours of sleep was definitely not in the cards for me. So I hung on to that prescription, but that was another wake up call, right? And that plus, you know, a lot of other things led me to that moment in church where I was looking around myself and just thinking, if this is success, I don't want it. I don't want any part of it. And so here's what I did. I ended up quitting that consulting job, which was scary. <laughs> I don't recommend my clients necessarily do that, but I had to. It was affecting my health too much. I quit my job. I took some time to figure out what was I interested in. And guess what? It didn't have to be my life purpose. Just what was I interested in exploring? What was I interested in doing next? And from there, I built a plan. I started connecting lots and lots of networking. I had my plan. I had my to-dos every single day and I stuck with it. I was consistent and persistent. I did not give up. And ultimately six months later, I landed a job in a completely new industry doing something I had never done before and at a promoted level. And this time around, I actually liked my job. <laughs> I was actually interested in it. Um, but not only did I like my job, but I started to actually like my life again. I started to travel. I took my first international trip to Peru, went to Machu Picchu. I started to see friends more and do more fun things. I met the love of my life. There was no space for that in my schedule before. Plus, I don't think I would have wanted to date me at that point. Um, and, you know, I had a life full of freedom and adventure. And those were the values and the priorities that simply were not possible for me as long as I was stuck in that career. And I believe that we all deserve this. We all deserve to love what we do, to know that we're making an impact, to be valued and appreciated, to be seen, to be heard, and not just to be fulfilled at work, but fulfilled in the rest of our lives. I also believe that everything we've been through, everything you've been through, everything you're going through, even now, is preparing you for the next big thing for what you are meant to do. I could have never known it in that moment in church, right? And it seemed crazy. And then I changed careers and I was worried about my resume and all these changes, jobs and careers, but it all was leading me 
to this day where I can coach people from these different perspectives, where I've had these different experiences. And so for you, your rock bottom might not be crying in church. It might be crying in the frozen food aisle at the grocery store. It might be parking lot panic attacks as you're willing yourself to walk into the office. It might be low grade depression or just a feeling of being stuck. But whatever that is for you, I want you to know, I want you to trust, I want you to believe that you always have a choice. And after 20 years um, spent in traditional corporate roles, all the struggles I've been through, all the changes, all the pain, that has led to my best-selling book, Job Joy. That has led to me launching a business where I get to do work I love, work that matters every single day, and help my clients to do the same, to feel on purpose and fulfilled, not just at work, but in the rest of their lives as well. I want you to know it is never too late. You can do this. You deserve this. You've got this. And I would love to connect with you and help you on that journey. You can find me at findyourjobjoy.com and pretty much on all the social medias just using my name. Ooh, wow. <laughs> you know, here's the thing is that I've heard this story and it still gets me every time. So thank you. Thank you for, yeah. for that. And, and I can definitely, I'm going to put you backstage, but I can definitely, uh, I, you know, I, like I've I've been there as a person who was hate, doing a job I hated that was killing me, you know. Uh, I'm not going to say the name of it, but uh, the, the, it wasn't crying in church, that's for sure. As a Jew, I think that'd be a little weird. But it was uh, sitting in my car, going, "I just I just don't know that I can go in. I don't I don't know that I can do this." Uh, the last day that I really remember doing that was I literally pulled into my job and went now, and I left. And went and got a bagel. I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't go in today. And very soon after, I left that job. So I definitely, uh, I've been there. And, and if you were as touched by that as I'm, as I was, know that that's her times ten when she's coaching, when she's working with you. It she is so hands on, so um, it, just instrumental in helping you take that next step. And I, I can't say thank you enough. So Kristen, thank you uh, for for all the help you gave me, and for you know always being there when I call and say, hey, I need someone to to do whether it's a podcast interview or now as, as uh, you know telling your story. So thank you. So our next storyteller tonight is a guy that I connected with on LinkedIn uh, because I had, uh, to be quite honest, I had finally seen his stuff shared. You know, it, not like, you know, if you use LinkedIn, your feed is basically just people's, you know, sharing other people's stuff, right? And I had seen his stuff shared so many times. I finally was just like, man, I gotta, I gotta know who this dude is, right? I gotta connect with this guy. And uh, I, I gotta tell you, I am not sorry that I did. He is so... He's one of those people who just every time you talk to him, it's inspiring. Uh, he he himself is very inspiring, but he's also one of those dudes that just lifts you up and makes you feel like, all right, I can do this like anything is possible, right? So I'm going to go ahead and bring Laurent Barton up on stage, and he's going to tell his story. Laurent? Jay, thank you very much for that, man. I'm just, you know, I'm... I'm really humbled by that message. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Kristen, I love your story. Like that was just, it was definitely very, very, very powerful. 
So my name is Leron Barton. I'm a writer, author, speaker. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. I currently live in San Francisco, California. And I'm going to tell you how I became to do all this stuff. So back in 2020, I'm sorry, back in 2011, um, you know, I was, I, the end of um, December, I got laid off from my job, right? And it was like, you know, job kind of sucked, but I, but I don't have any money and it's a couple of days before New Year. New Year come, um, comes along and I, my then girlfriend decided to break up with me. So she broke up with me on the first day of the year. So I'm broke and I'm single. And so I was, I was at a really low, really low place. So, you know, I started drinking kind of going out, just laying around, just looking flabby and sick. And I just, I felt like I did not have a purpose. I felt like that, you know, I, I wasn't motivated to write, which is my favorite thing to do in the entire world. I wasn't motivated to really work out. I mean, you know, I wasn't getting fat, but I was just, just sloppy. I was just laying around. And so, you know, I tried to party. I tried to sleep around, tried to do all this stuff to just get me out of this rut. And I could not get out of this, this rut. So, you know, I was talking to one of my really, uh, really good friends, you know, one of my best friends, uh, I call her Boo Bear. And she was like, you know, Laurent, you don't really have anything to tie you here. Now, mind you, San Diego is this gorgeous place, right? I mean, San Diego is beautiful. And I was just unhappy and miserable in San Diego. So you know that it wasn't the place, right? It had to be me. So one day I, I, I was sitting on my couch. I was, I was in this, 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 this little ass one bedroom. <laughs> I was like, Laurent, what makes you happy? And I said, well, writing and traveling makes me happy. And I said, okay. You know, because again, writing is my favorite thing to do in the entire world. It's the thing that I, it's the best thing that I know how to do. And I feel like that if I don't write, I'm not who I'm supposed to be. And traveling just, it gets me, it just, it unleashes these juices that I just, I cannot describe. So, you know, what I did was I, I decided to just like shake things up. I decided to bet on myself. I decided to trust and steep in my faith and trust and believe in God. And so I decided to say, you know what? I'm about to backpack. So I, you know, um, left my apartment. I sold a lot of stuff, gave more stuff away. I, I sold my big arcade game that I that I worked really hard for because every kid wants to have an arcade game when he uh, when he grows up in his, in his house. Uh, I moved in with my friend Sinson, you know, in in a bedroom, and I just, you know, I decided on like, all right, where am I gonna go? So, you know, I've been to Europe, you know, I've been to, um, you know, Panama, I've, I've been to Peru, you know, did Machu Picchu. Uh, I, um, I also um, went, went to Costa Rica, but I want to do something different. And I realized that if I'm a backpack, I'm going to be gone for a long time. So mind you, I don't have a place. I'm a place to say I'm effectively homeless. So I'm, I'm talking with, uh, with some friends of mine and we decide, all right, Instead of going to Colombia, which is the kidnapped capital of the world, as, as they said, I decided to start my journey in Honduras, which is the real kidnapped capital of, of the world. So the day that I left, I got on a train leaving San Diego and I took the train to go to Los Angeles. And then from Los Angeles, 
I flew into uh, San Pedro Sula. So the thing about backpacking for a really long time is that it's a it's a mental block that you know you have to get over the fact that okay you know everything's in storage your life is effectively put on hold you are homeless and so i started out uh in san pedro sula which is a very dangerous part of town i mean it's it's uh i never seen so many guns in my entire life uh and i'm from the ghetto so um you know got a chance to really move around with the folks um then went to this beautiful island called Utila. And Utila is, is gorgeous. I mean, it's it's this small place. It's just full of just black and brown people. And, you know, it's it's hot. I mean, you know, um, Honduras is hot and it's it's so it's so hot. I would get there and wake up in the morning, work out, um, go get some water because the water was not safe to drink eat my uh, eat my breakfast and my uh, banana shake. <laughs> then I would go to the beach and I would get into the water because by noon it was so hot that you couldn't even uh, you can even walk on a sand like it was that hot. From there, you know I, I started to kind of think about my life and, and started to kind of think about you know where I was, you know um, why was I so un- why was I so unhappy? And, you know, I began to write a little bit. I, uh, I had a journal and, you know, I began to write and write and write. And one of the things is, is that I always said, well, you know, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But it was, I'm, I'm gonna. And so by pushing myself out of my comfort zone, I started to write a little bit, you know, every single day, I write more and more and more. So after Utila went to Tegucigalpa which I believe is the capital of of Honduras. And then from there, I went to Nicaragua. So Leon is this gorgeous place. It, it's one of my favorite cities in the entire world. You know, I ate good, uh, you know, hung in this awesome hostel. I got a chance to meet really cool people. You know, we're, you know, we're trading stories and I'm slowly but surely kind of raising myself out of this depression that I, uh, that I had, I then got a chance to go to this beautiful island called Las Panitas. And it, it was so beautiful just seeing fishermen and, and seeing people just living this super awesome life. And it was no kind of TVs, no, you know, um, no fancy cars. I mean, just people just living and breathing. And, and, you know, even though I ended up getting, um, getting food poisoning from, uh, from from some fish it's all good you know i rolled with the punches and then from there i took this tumultuous chicken bus ride to samra beach costa rica from there i began to work at a hostel you know i'm 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 sweeping up floors i'm 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 mop i'm i'm mopping rooms i'm making beds and i'm feeling wonderful like like i was like oh my god like i don't think that i've ever been this happy in a long time here i am this network engineer that is just making people's bed and checking people into this hostel from there i met a really important person um her name is on beautiful wonderful person you know we became really good friends on Andy and I, 
And so, you know, we traveled from Samra Beach, went back to, um, to Nicaragua, hung out. By then, I was writing more rapidly. I, I, had, um, I darn near finished a, finished a book and was working on another one. And, and in my seven weeks time of backpacking, I got a chance to clear my head. I got a chance to really look at and to realize what was important in my, in my life. And what I had to do was I had to raise myself out of that. I had to start believing in who I was. So I came back home, got a chance to be in my friend Armando's wedding. And when I had lunch with my friend Chris, he asked me, he's like, Laurent, why did you come back? And I said, because I had to come back. From there, I moved to San Francisco. Well, actually Fremont, <laughs> because I didn't know what East County was. Six months later, moved to San Francisco. Shortly after, published my first book, Straight Dope or 360 Degree Look into American Drug Culture. Then I began writing for the Good Men Project. I started writing about the relationship with, with my father and I, uh, the breakup with my ex-girlfriend. Then I released a second book two years later. Then after that, I began writing essays. These essays would appear in in Salon, Ravishly, Rancontour, um, gosh, my, uh, East Bay Express. Um, eventually, I was invited on uh, on Al Jazeera. I'm writing for the Harvard Business Re Review. I believed in myself enough to apply to a TEDx, and I would go on to do three TEDxes. The thing is, is that I bet on myself. I realized that I needed to shake things up. The man that I am today, living in this incredible city, a city that I've always wanted to live in, I would not be here if I did not decide to take that risk, to take that plunge, to believe in myself, to believe in God, and to know that if I can survive seven weeks backpacking by myself through Central America, where I, where I know poquito espanol surviving being arrested twice <laughs> like you know food poisoning just crazy things guns every guns everywhere that means that i can survive anything and that means that you can survive anything so sometimes you just gotta just push the chips to the table and just say you know what i'm going all in what i'm saying to you is that sometimes in order to get out of that rut you got to just risk it all. And I'm very confident that more often than, than, than not, everything will come up green. This is Laron Barton. You can find me at www.laronbarton.com. I'm on Twitter, Mainline Laron, Instagram, Laron L. Barton. And Jay, I want to thank you for allowing me to be on this show, man. And uh, I just want to tell everyone, believe in yourself, believe in God or a higher power and don't be afraid to take take them risk. It can't rain all the time. And uh, my life is better because of it. Thank you. Yes. Wonderful. Laurent, thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and put you backstage again.
Uh, that was great. I mean, we're, 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 we're moving right along some really incredible stories so far. And like I said, how inspiring is Laurent, right? I mean, if, if you understand that, like he's here because I just started following him on, on LinkedIn and we got to chat and then now, now I was you know so lucky to have him on this thing. So do yourself a favor, follow him on those social media sites, check out his website. We're going to take a break real quick because, uh, you know, we've got some heavy stories still coming and we need a refresher. We need a moment to, um, you know, really just uh, take a breath, uh, do what you need to do, um, take, go to the bathroom, whatever. And, and in that time, we're going to have some incredible music. And, and, and tonight, that music is by my sister-in-law, Kayla Frimmer, and her bandmate, Sam Sclover. So uh, Kayla and Sam, uh, this is a recorded video. They, they, they were not doing this live, so I'm going to go ahead and play this for you. Enjoy this because uh, I, I've enjoyed listening to it a couple times since they sent it to me. Hey, Rock Bottom Storytellers. I'm Kayla. I'm Sam. Thanks so much to Jay for having us. The first song we're going to play is That's It, I Quit, I'm Moving On by Sam Cooke. Oh. 
All right, we're back. Um, no idea about the uh, the lag. I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think this this uh, platform that I use is wonderful. It is. I mean, obviously, it's it's working great. Uh, it's newish, you know, and, and they're still working out some kinks. So that could have been it. Actually, perfect example. My wife popped in here during the uh, the break and said, "I'm watching this on two different platforms on on YouTube and on Facebook, and the number of people who are are watching is different on both sites." So ignore that. I, I you know, last time, perfect example is they said no no more did that number get higher than twenty last time. And the total of people who watched it live was over 200. So who knows? Uh, you know, I get a little uh, notice tomorrow that says, here is the info on your event. So who knows? Um, real quick, before we bring on our next storyteller, first off, thank you to, to Kayla and Sam. Uh, again, I'm sorry that the video lagged, but uh, your voices, you know, in, in, the, in the guitar and everything sounded wonderful. And uh, if you're interested in their music, check them out. Uh, around new york that's where they are right now and i asked kayla if she wanted some some link shared and she's like yeah it's cool so you know search for them somewhere before we get to the next uh storyteller i am going to do a little more uh promotion about me so as you can see up on the screen right now uh you know once again the roadrunner code and the link please go to that link check out their products uh, i can't say enough good things about their products really it, they're incredible um my links are at the bottom below that i am a storyteller a speaker a podcast and event host um and i don't make a lot of money off this which is okay that's not why i do this but there are a couple of ways you can support um, if you go to that that camps j.campsite.bio, it's all of my links or go to my website, jshiffman.com. Um, I have my Patreon. If you want to support the podcast and this kind of work, it, plans start as, as little as $3.34 a month and you get some perks. So check that out. I also do sell merch. I'm going to go ahead and hold this up if you can see it. So uh, this is a tank top. I'm not. I'm not doing this well. I'm not Vanna White. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a professional at holding things up on screen. So uh, you can buy tank tops. This is the woman's cut. I do have a, a, a unisex cut as well. Um, I also have stickers, and um, you know that's the the merch. I don't really sell a lot, but I do have a couple more coming along the way once I sell some more of these. And uh, you know, check out the Patreon. But most importantly, subscribe to all my links, my Facebook, my um, YouTube, my LinkedIn, where I do a lot of my work, my website, and most importantly, above all of that, is my podcast. Check out the Choose Your Struggle podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, Spotify, who or, or, or iTunes, who listens to anything other than that. Um, check that out because that is a lot of my work uh, dedicated to ending stigma, to telling stories, and uh, normalizing struggle. You know, that's that's what I do. So. Without further ado, enough about me, because again, this night is about me. So the next uh, storyteller is someone <clears throat> he writes for, in my opinion, in my opinion, and, and, I, and I do this for a living, so my opinion carries some weight. Uh, he writes for one of, if not the best publication on drugs, drug use, drug policy, uh, harm reduction techniques in the world. Uh, I mean, I, I, I truly feel that way. Uh, it's called Filter Magazine. It's an online publication. I am a donor. I should, I should say that because uh, they're a nonprofit. Uh, I had the, the, um, uh, the, the founder and the editor, uh, Will Godfrey, on my podcast. Um, but I reached out to this person uh, who, who is just transcendently amazing because I love his work. I, I just, it hits home. It, it, it is honest. It's vulnerable. And 
above anything else, it's truthful. And we don't have a lot of that when it comes to reporting on drug use, on drug policy. There's a whole lot of politics, a lot of bullshit wrapped up in it. ML Lanzlotta has no time for that. He is all about the most important things, the truth, the facts, the honest vulnerability. So I'm going to go ahead and bring up ML and he can tell you more about it himself. ML, what is up? Welcome to the stage. Hello. I'm going to go ahead and go backstage. It's all about you now. Good. Um, hello, everyone. I'm, well, primarily a writer and essayist, sort of. Um, and this story is not about drugs. This is, so I just talk about something different for, for once. Um, something still, I don't know, I feel like it's maybe not taboo, but it's it's something people don't really are not often comfortable talking about. When I was eight, when I was in high school, I, I don't know, I was in an abusive relationship. Oh, and of course, back then I was still presenting as female. I hadn't come out yet. So um, this would be a straight relationship. Um, but yeah, um, I was a very lonely teenager. I was bullied. I was, I was weird, you know, this sort of funny little queer autistic child that, um, not very popular at school naturally because you know i was just sort of kind of dorky and i didn't always get humor um and yeah so i was a very sort of a lonely kind of isolated kid and then i joined a writer's group that was mostly adults i was the only teenager in the group um it was a meetup and that's where i met this this guy who was in his 30s at the time he was i think 33 and I guess I was a pretty easy target because I was so, like, I was this really lonely kid, so he just befriended me and then before long, within a couple months, started sending these messages and claiming to be in love with me, and it, it's crazy how fast it happened. It went from us just meeting at this meetup and hardly knowing each other, and me thinking he was kind of annoying, to him just every single day messaging me, every single day, and it just kind of... I was just glad to have someone to talk to, so I kind of put up with, you know, a lot of this kind of aggressive behavior, and I guess in hindsight I now know that that was him grooming me, and that it was something called, I can't remember what it's called, but it's, um, you know, when someone, when a sort of grooming kind of person first identifies a kind of target, they'll just love you, they'll just buy you presents, they'll just do anything to make you feel wonderful, and, you know, abusive relationship, people think it's all this guy's hitting his wife or like they're all mean all the time but really it's there'll often be these periods where the person is almost unnaturally nice insanely nice and it that's what really got me trapped was he would alternate but at first he was insanely nice then he started later on to alternate between being like truly horrible telling me i was worthless saying my writing was shit and then nothing i did would ever matter and then i should become a prostitute because that's all i was good for you know just really horrible stuff and because he was alternating between this really horrible stuff and being like insanely nice, I got kind of trapped in like wondering, you know, is it really bad if he's he's so nice sometimes, you know? And it's, and I think it's a really common pattern for what I've known other people who've been in abusive relationships or in a similar situation. That's very much what people do. But yeah, the worst, really, the worst moment of my life was being kind of stuck in this relationship at 17. Felt like I couldn't get away from him because all of my friends at that point were his friends because I hadn't really known anyone because I was a weird kid at school and I just all of his friends are his friends and they all seemed completely fine with the fact that he would take me to movie nights and grope me and stuff and act like we were like boyfriend and girlfriend even though he was 
really old and at least really old to 17 year old me and it just the fact that they didn't seem to see anything wrong with it or never no one else really acknowledged also made it kind of worse it was like I think the most isolating experience of my life the most lonely was just being in this relationship with this person and really for a long time I did feel like there was no way out and that I was just gonna be stuck with him and I, I didn't know forever I guess which is ridiculous but I was pretty young at the time so it's kind of this I was stuck in this place I was just so hopeless and I, I did try to break up with him and for like five minutes he's like yeah we're broken up and I even texted to confirm and I did it in public too in front of some friends but yeah the next day he just pretended nothing's happened and that I think was probably the worst moment of all was just he completely took the power from me and he didn't even have to like threaten me or anything he was just manipulating me in this way and it I probably would not have been able to get out if I had not you know if I had not had friends and people I could talk to because oh god that explained that badly um no but it was yes it was very isolating very lonely and for some time I did feel like I would never get out and you know by then I was 18 and it was the summer and Finally, I did, I had to do it all alone, get away from him, because it was just, really, I mean, I had a couple friends online, people I didn't even know in person, though the only people I knew that he hadn't either become friends with too somehow, or that I hadn't known through him, so it was really kind of like, he'd done what a lot of abusers will do and completely isolated me socially, so it was all his friends and my friends, but I, I eventually, I just... I just decided I couldn't do it anymore, and I decided that I'd had enough, and I didn't care if he was really abusive or if I was just perceiving him as abusive, because at the time I really did not believe that it was abusive. Like, a lot of people in those situations, you don't feel like it's abusive because he's so nice sometimes, or everyone else seems to think it's alright. But then I just sort of decided I had to get away, I had to stop it all, so I blocked him on everything, I kind of did not go anywhere for a couple weeks because I knew he knew where I lived but I knew that he couldn't get in obviously to my parents house if the doors were locked if I didn't go walking or anything so I just kind of shut down and just completely stopped contact con blocked every email address of his every email address he made to send me new emails you know and it just I had to just decide okay this is enough and just completely stop everything and you know I was going to a community college, so the next, that fall, this was, I guess, about a couple weeks before the school year started, so I was, I just decided and completely cut him off, completely got out of everything, and it was one of the really hardest things, because I felt like I was giving up my entire social life, everyone I knew, even though I was going to college, I didn't expect to make friends because of all the trouble I had with making friends in high school and everything else, and I just was so certain that it was and it was hard for a while, I did have a really hard time, I didn't really have anyone in my life except some online friends, and it just, yeah, I had to do it, and I, and once I did, suddenly, once I made that decision, once I just, you know, decided, no, I am not going to do this anymore, I have to get away, and got away from him, it suddenly seemed so obvious in hindsight, I mean, maybe not right away, but I, I started to realize how ridiculous the whole situation is, once I was out of it, and no longer in his trap, in that sort of place, in that mindset, suddenly it was much easier to see how how he tricked me, how his messages would alternate between, you know, the pattern. I did not notice the pattern while I was in the midst of all this. I did not notice the pattern 
while I was stuck there in that place. But once I got out, I could see the pattern of what he was doing, of how he was manipulating me, how he was using gifts and praise and stuff to make me rely on him. You know, he'd break me down and build me up again, kind of like a cult, but on a minor scale, you know, sort of similar kind of trying to completely destroy you so that they, you rely on the person or the organization. But yes, it was, it was, yes, a very isolating thing. And also, yeah, probably one of the most lonely experiences. I remember thinking at the time, I was obsessed with tracking down someone else he dated just so I could have someone else to speak to who had been through a similar experience. But luckily, um, as time went on, as the years went by, I started to meet people. I met people who'd been through similar things. I knew other people who had had abusive relationships and realized it was not a lonely thing at all. I mean, it was fairly common. I mean, I knew I had relatives. I had friends. You know, I, I had all these people I ended up, whether it's online friends or relatives, it had been through a similar situation. It was not me. It was not just me. I was not the only one in the situation. I was not really alone at all. It's very common, I think. Which is horrible to think about, of course, but also it's good because it doesn't, it means that if you're in that situation, if you're stuck with this sort of person that you can't even decide if they're really abusing, abusive or not because they sort of alternate between seeming mean and seeming perfectly wonderful, you know, it's, it's, it's not that uncommon. It's not this strange thing that no one else has experienced. It's unfortunately common, but at the same time, there's something powerful about that because it means you're not the only one. And I think it's true about a lot of experiences, whether it's, you know, an abusive relationship, something like that something ex external or something like you're having disordered eating or your drug use is not you know it's not quite what you want it to be at it's not it's maybe not full addiction but it's troublesome you know all these things it seems so lonely at the moment you always you'll find that later it's not so lonely at all there's other people out there and you know i think that's one reason i decided to be so honest about lots of things that people would never write about people would never want to admit to like using drugs or mistakes or you know things i've done that were probably stupid or situations i've been in that were kind of embarrassing you kind of have to talk about it you kind of have to be completely maybe not completely open because that can be a bit maybe not healthy if it's you're totally open about everything you know it can be a bit make you a bit too vulnerable but really i think it is better to be open about these things and honest about these things and just you know because you're not the only one and if you start talking about it or writing about it maybe not before you're ready but once you can once it's like not too horrible, once you've sort of started to get past it, you'll find that there's all these people. I mean, with my writing, my essays, my drug use, my life and stuff, I found I always get people messaging me and saying that they've been through something similar. And that's why it's just so important, even though these things are humiliating, even though it can seem embarrassing to have had something like that happen to you. It's it's not it's not even that strange. It's something that a lot of people have experienced. A lot of people have found themselves in similar places, and that's useful i mean good it's it's powering i suppose to know that you're not the only one and that other people have been through this and they have survived and they've gone on to have regular normal real lives and they aren't going to be stuck with this kind of horribleness forever even if you're still in that place where you don't know how to get out you don't know how to safely escape the situation you know it's it's, it's still not forever it's not it's not going to define you for your whole life, especially if you're really young and it seems like that's all you are is this person who got tricked and taken advantage of. But that's not. There's more. There's more you can do. There's, there's, you can always find some way, you know. Maybe you'll still be traumatized. Maybe there'll still be nightmares. But it's like, that's not all you'll ever be. You'll move past that. You can be beyond that, you know. 
And I think that's sort of, in conclusion, the end. Um, yes. All right. Wow. ML, thank you so much. Um, can you all see why she's such an incredible writer? He's, excuse me, he's such an incredible writer. Uh, if you're not following ML, you know, you know, I'll put these up one last time. Please go follow his links because, uh, you know, ML, I know you, you know, I feel this way because I tell you this all the time. You're one of my favorite writers doing this today. And uh, I truly think your Twitter is a, a drug policy and a drug user's gold mine. I mean, I'm, I'm retweeting you pretty much every day at this point. So yeah. thank you for all of that. I'm going to put you backstage. Thank you for being here, ML. So we are heading into the, the, the home stretch here. Um, and it's, thank you everyone for tuning in tonight. I, I, I truly mean that everyone who's watching every platform, um, it, it, it means a lot to me, whether you are watching this live or if you're, if you're now hearing my voice in the future, uh, this is a recording. Thank you for, for tuning in. This is, this is so incredible. Um, it, it, it that story I really think is why we do this. I know summed it up, summed it up so perfectly at the end is that, talking about it helps you feel helps you move forward and not so you're ready right i mean he said that perfectly i told my story i was five years into recovery i, mean, I just wasn't ready before that so I, I thank you i mean ml that was wonderful thank you so much so uh we're gonna go to our last our last storyteller now and i'm gonna butcher the shit out of this name she knows that and 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 she's laughing backstage you can't see her but but it's gonna happen um so she goes by Jenny Rad, but here we go. This is this is my attempt. Niranja, uh, Nira, the Krishna. God damn it, that was terrible. Uh, Jenny Rad is wonderful. She is. She runs a couple of podcasts that I love. She um, is one of those people that uh, like this actually happened recently. I, I was we were kind of commiserating over over a, um, a a thing that we both don't like about the podcast industry. And I was like, why don't we just collaborate on our project? And she was like, why don't we collaborate on our project? So that's the kind of person she is. She's like always open. She's like, yeah, let's make something better if something isn't working, if something isn't good. She's a delightful person. I'm so lucky. I don't even remember how we got connected anymore, Jenny, but but we've been uh, we've been working together a couple of times now. I'm going to be on her podcast pretty soon. Uh, I'm going to have her swing back around. And here she is tonight telling her story for the final storyteller for Rock Bottom, storytellers number two. And while she tells her story, I'm going to drink this delicious bourbon because it's been a great night. Jenny, come on up to the stage. <laughs> Hi, Jay. Um, I've just experienced a full range of emotions in the past like 10 minutes listening um, to that beautiful story and that introduction, Jay. So thank you. <laughs> um so I am a professional speaker. That's one of the things that I do. But when I speak, I definitely have a speaker persona. And I'm going to try um, really hard not to do that for you all today. Um, other than the fact that I wrote down my story. But this is pretty, um, pretty raw. And I have um, some folks that I've invited to this call that know me that um, I'm probably going to share some stuff that you didn't know about me. So um, like Jay said, my name is Jannie. And technically, Janie Radmavori, um, my current hubs, is now on the call. Um, hi. And technically, Janie Radmavori, as of this month. And to quote my favorite movie, let's start from the beginning. It's a very good place to start. And maybe some of you would know where that's from. <laughs> so just like many of you, 
I was a kid with a ton of interests and they were really all over the place. I mean, like really all over the place. So like sports, writing, acting, outdoors, science experiments, outer space, music, I mean, you name it. And I was that kid that was in every single club and extracurricular activity you can think of, but I actually enjoyed them. Like they weren't just resume builders. I loved mock trial as I'm as much as I loved Math Olympiad, as much as I loved the comedy improv team. And the thing that was kind of in common with all of these things is that I liked doing things that evoked reactions from other people. So applause from an audience, hugs from my parents and high fives from my best friends. And I really thrived off of this energy. And there came a point where our school program started talking about the standardized tests and the gifted programs and preparing to eventually get into college. And I think this started in fifth grade. I mean, I'm not talking about high school. Like this was fifth grade where we started having these these discussions. And so, like I mentioned, I had so many interests and because I did show an early inclination towards health and science and STEM, my family, including myself, we kind of collectively decided like, okay, like let's become a doctor. And I want to stop maybe some assumptions that might be going through your head. I wasn't forced to become a doctor. That wasn't that kind of situation. It's just, you know, I did have an interest in health and science. And so, you know, a doctor is something that my family knew. And when you have two immigrant parents who've left everything and have come to the United States, something like doctor, which you know what that is you know that it provides stability and safety and prestige, like that's all you want for your kid. Um, So we all just thought it, you know, thought it was a great idea. We knew what it was and it's, 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 it's a good future for your child. So we started very early on to strategize how to get me to that goal. And this goal was something that everyone knew, like, This type of goal isn't something that's meant to be a secret. Your teachers know, your community know, because parents talk at parties to other parents. Your friends know because you're all in the same classes. And at some point, I think I kind of just owned the fact that everyone knows, because then I started a Tumblr um, to kind of document my journey. I I, even at that age, I was like, I'm going to be a blogger. (laughs) Um, And so I was very academically driven. And I wanted to get good grades in school because I wanted that applause and I wanted those hugs and I wanted those high fives because making other people proud of me made me proud of me. So somewhere along the way, I realized that I was starting to develop really unhealthy habits around tests. And I was putting so much pressure on myself to make straight A's so that I was prepared for high school, so that I could get into the AP classes, so that I could get above a 4.0, so that I could get into a good college, so that I could eventually get into medical school. Um, And I think the first time I failed a test was in fifth grade. And it was the standardized test that tested us into the gifted program. And I did so poorly Um, I mentioned that I have parents who immigrated here, but English was my first language and I tested as if English was my second language. So my parents and teachers had a conference and they decided in that moment that the test didn't align with my academic performance. So somehow 
I got very lucky. Um, I often look back at this and think of what a privilege it was that they gave me a pass because they let me into the gifted program. And I had my first panic attack when I got my first and only B in middle school. And it was in gym. And the reason I got this B is because I tried to lift a weight that was actually too heavy for me because I wanted to, to get that presidential fitness test. I wanted to be the, the highest one. Ended up lifting something that was too heavy for me, pulled some muscles in my back. I wasn't able to go to gym class for a few weeks. And so my grade dropped down to a B. And that was my very first panic attack that I can remember. I had my second panic attack during the PSATs, which is a qualifying exam that you take in seventh grade that qualifies you for national merit scholarships for college. I already knew I wanted to do good on this because I had my sister to look up to and my sister excelled on this exam. Um, my friends all did great on the exam. I like, I was not even close to making the cut. Um, all my friends not only did great on the exam, they all got the scholarship. They were all national merit scholars. And I remember all of us kind of talking about it, but I still can't remember to this day if I lied or I just avoided the subject because I was so embarrassed. I, I just don't have memories about this because it was that humiliating. Next, chem, next came the SATs and the honors and the AP exams. And I think most people who are listening that are my friends know this is that I had to take my SATs three times so that together the super score could get me into my dream school. And it was at this time that I really started to get down on myself. Everything else I kind of was kind of excusing in the past, but this time I really knew, okay, no one in my friend group has taken the SATs three times. And I knew I was smart, but this is, this is about the time where I really started to doubt if I actually was smart. And this is when I started to approach my rock bottom. I wasn't there yet, uh, but I was close. I did manage to get into Carolina and now I'm pre-med and the classes sucked. <laughs> I hated the classes. I hated my classmates because they were really competitive and they would cheat on things. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to make good grades in classes based on cheating. Um, and I found solace in my extracurricular activities and my classes that weren't pre-med and I want to revisit that, that I didn't enjoy my pre-med classes. I actually did like it when I did good on exams. Like I was good at acid-based chem and I would do great on exams, but I needed that exam grade to, to, to trick my brain into saying, oh, look, you're achieving at something, therefore you're happy. Doing the actual work brought me no happiness, but excelling brought me happiness because then that gave me a high five from my professor and I craved praise. And I think that praise, it made me feel like, okay, I am smart. And then now the rock bottom is about to hit. So I was studying for my MCAT for months and it felt like a year. And MCAT is the exam to um, basically get into medical school. And um, 
my family was very fortunate to basically, you know, try to get me whatever it is that we needed. At this point, we kind of knew, okay, I'm not a good test taker. I'm not a good test taker. We did the private tutoring. We did online tutoring, in-person tutoring, you know, away from college, living at home. We followed all the recommendations from all the blogs and all the advice from current medical students. Um, and I started doing somewhat okay on my practice tests and, you know, at least getting the minimum to get you into an MD school. And big surprise, I didn't do well at all. And this was, um, I had a panic attack during the exam and actually had to walk out. And so I didn't get to um, finish part of the exam. So this was the point in my head at this time where I had so many thoughts. The, I didn't do it and I couldn't do it. It's physically impossible for me to do this thing. I've let myself down. I've let my parents down. I've let my friends down. Speaking of my friends, how are my friends able to do this? How is it so possible that everyone else can do this but me? Why am I not smart enough? Why am I not good enough? Looking back, what the heck did I do with my life? Everything that I've done has been to, to get to this accomplishment. Everything's been a waste. I'm suck. I'm stupid. I'm lost now that I'm not going to medical school. What the heck am I supposed to be doing now? And I've failed. And my family, my parents, they worked so hard to pick me back up. You know, they said, it's not you. You're not stupid. You're clearly smart. And so we decided, okay, maybe I just wasn't in the best environment to prepare for this exam. So um, the next summer, we secretly moved me to a different city where my sister was living so that I could study in private and secretly take this exam again. So for a whole three months, I was lying to everybody about what I was doing um, just so I can take this exam. And... Uh, I did worse the second time. It was pretty bad. <laughs> and the night before that second MCAT was the first time my parents saw um, me having an anxiety attack and what that actually looked like and what I was going through. And so that, that was my rock bottom. My mental health had completely plummeted after getting that second score back. And I realized that all that need for this external validation somehow in my brain was tied to me feeling any sense of self-worth. So with no successful external validation, I had zero self-worth and zero self-confidence. I was lost and I was useless. And I didn't tell a single person how I was feeling. The only person that kind of knew was my roommate, um, who we didn't really get along with at that time, um, only because at night she would wake up to hear me crying or she would go to you know somewhere and then come back and I would just still be in my bed and I'd be crying. But to everyone else, I put a smile on my face. I continued to study for my classes. I played around with a few majors. And honestly, I just pulled out justifications left and right out of my butt for people who asked me questions. And again, same thing. I can't even remember what lies or how many or who I told. And it's like I have very limited memories of this period um, of my life around these events. Um, I've just kind of blocked them out. So I did start to see a counselor. 
And the first thing that we really needed to rework in my brain was this idea that my life has not been a waste. Um, and I think our first storyteller even kind of talked about this, but all the, all those things that I did in my life, they did get me to where I was. And I was generally happy where I was emotionally in life. Like I was able to go to my dream school. I loved my friends. I was able to study abroad. And so I really had to realize my life wasn't a waste. It's just, I'm at a different outcome than what I was expecting. And that's okay. I also, at that point, had gotten diagnosed with dyslexia and an anxiety disorder, which looking back, makes so much sense, all of what I was experiencing with exams. Um, and so instead of doing the, well, what if I had known this? What if I had gotten diagnostic tests then? What if I had gotten extra time and trying to play this what if game all the way back to fifth grade? Instead, I started to tell myself, you know, look where you are today, despite everything. Look at all these ways that you've been able to cope. Look at where you are professionally um, in, a, in a position doing a, a daytime job in analytics, um, speaking to people, writing. And, you know, yeah, I have some creative mannerisms, but that's just what makes Janny Janny. And that's okay. And that's all taken years to do. And it's something that I've become really passionate about that I, every chance I have to talk about this paradigm shift, I, I try to do that because it's really the only thing that helped me get out of that rock bottom was to realize that I wasn't ever lost and I never failed. I was exactly where I needed to be. And that in itself was a success story. So that next lesson is one that I'm still working on today, which is to separate that need for external validation from self-worth. Um, I know this is a rock bottom storytelling and that there's an up, but I I'm still on the up. I'm not on the other side yet. It's something that I'm still working on actively every single day. And I don't know why I rely on external validation so much. That's just the way my brain works. But what I'm trying to work on every day is feeling that exact same feeling of euphoria and empowerment when, um, you know, even a stranger says you're awesome. I want to feel that for myself when I look at myself in the mirror and say, you're awesome. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm, but I'm getting there. And there are some days where I am on fire and I'm feeling great, but then there are some days where I still feel like I'm, I'm crawling out of that rock bottom, but I know it's in me. I know I have the skills to do it. I have the mindset. It's just, it takes a lot of time and energy to unlearn those patterns that are in your head. So um, some of you watching um, that do know me notice that sometimes I like, when I'm really excited, I like hold my hands and I put my hands together. And um, I realized that I've started doing that. And I, and I think it is actually like me, like holding my own hand. Like it's me giving myself my own hug and um, me giving myself my own high five because um, I'm really trying to learn now that internal validation is all that I need to know that I'm doing life right. So that's it. Um, thank you for your time tonight. And if you resonate with my story and want to learn more about me and, and my professional life and want to connect, uh, you can follow me. All my stuff is written down there. Uh, Janierad.me on Instagram and Facebook. You can listen to my podcast, What's On Your Mind. And you can check out my website at Janierad.com. Thank you. That was wonderful, Jenny. Thank you. That was, I love the, the message that, you know, 
Uh, this show is about the rock bottom and the bounce back, but you're still down there. And for those watching who obviously haven't heard the instructions I give to everybody, I tell them that, you know, when I, when I get paid good money to tell my story or, or to speak somewhere, it's the V shape, right? It's the, the, the downfall and then the bounce back. Cause what people want is that inspiration. They want that motivation. That's what they, they pay for but that's not what we're trying to do with these rock bottom stories. It's the U shape. It's the, the, the downfall, but then we sit there for a little bit. That's the point of these rock bottoms. And sometimes it's not a U it's an L and, and maybe it's an L with a little curly Q at the, at the, at the end, you're coming on the way back up. So Jenny, thank you so much for that. And thank all of you for tuning in. This has been a wonderful night of storytelling. Uh, I, I just, I can't say thank you enough. If you're watching this replay, reach out now. If you're, if you're watching this live, reach out to one of these amazing storytellers, reach out to me. My links are at the bottom right now. Um, it's just, thank you. That's, that's it. That's the last message for tonight. So I will sign this off the way that I sign off my podcast every single time, which is, I say, please be vulnerable, show your empathy, spread your love and choose your struggle.